queen of summer, queen bee, sweet-smelling, flowering one, honey, nectar, overflowing fountain, full-blown rose, intoxicating dancer, whispering wind, singer, spellbinder, blossom and thorn, Rhiannon, Arianrod, Aphrodite, Ishtar, Sibyl, come into us, carry us off. Lord of the colors of day, untamed awakener of hearts, comforter of sorrows, the namer, the clear-sighted dancer, morning sun, vine-ripened seed, many-jeweled one, hunter, wild beast, guide, come to us. You are dry, drink of us. We are the dew-filled flowers that open to your golden shaft. Welcome to the Seer and the Star, where we traverse the realms of the magical, the mystical, the path to higher healing and awakening to one's own inner gnosis through ritual practice. I'm Juniper. And I'm Priscilla. And today we're going to discuss a midsummer's daydream and the call of the wild. So it is about mid-May now, and we just had the Beltane celebration, May Day, May 1st. Beltane was beautiful this year. Both Priscilla and I went to two separate gatherings, but had very profound and beautiful experiences. So the time of Beltane is when love is in the air, right? So it's all about that first attraction, the excitement of young love. It is about fertility and coming together in sacred union. But now we are coming up on summer solstice in June. By the Wiccans, it's known as Litha. Um, there are other names for this holiday as well, but we can call it Midsummer. It's called Midsummer because it is the second within the three warm weather holidays. The time of the Oak King is strong. The Oak King is um, the ruler of the sun. He is the time of day and light. He is the powerful, strong, masculine aspect. But not just is he strong, but so feminine aspect, the goddess. So our invocation today was to the goddess as well as the god of summer. And it was from the Spiral Dance, which is a book 
by Starhawk. So if you guys are not familiar, I know we've read from this book before, but it is such a classic when it comes to ritual craft. Highly recommend checking out The Spiral Dance by Starhawk. So Priscilla, you ready to start to get into summer solstice and what it brings? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I'm barely done recovering from Beltane. It was um, quite a dive. Do you want to share your experiences of Beltane real quick? Sure. Uh, I chose to join friends um, in a uh, queer community celebration of Beltane primarily um, gay men. And it was uh, quite a raucous affair. It's um, kind of a a secret sanctuary uh, that's here in Appalachia. And the invocations were familiar enough. There was a calling of the four directions and the elements above, below, and center which um, as we, as an aside, as we've been learning, we have uh, most likely uh, received that inheritance from our Proto-Indo-European forebears in terms of that particular culture. And it was neat because I was continuing to read about um, that Neolithic heritage and then to see it enacted was really interesting. Um, The idea of this tree being the cosmology in the center of the Neolithic or proto, you know, the Proto-Indo-European Neolithic cosmology, this tree that's surrounded by this chaos of water. And then to see, you know, thousands of years later, this crazy, spangled, sparkling, bedecked, half-naked crowd mm-hmm. erecting the the pole in the center. And it was... Um, greeted to by a lot of uh, humor. So there were um, characters who played the pole and the hole. And you can just imagine the um, naughty, raucous uh, jokes that were made. So it was a great healthy dose of reverence and a great healthy dose of um, hilarity. And um, it was very powerful. One of the most powerful things actually... Uh, which kind of surprised me was that they chose to uh, raise the cone of power with voice. And there, I've, I've not experienced anything like that before. There were hundreds of people and the sound of everyone raising their energy and their voices to the highest height uh, right before the pole was actually erected and, you know, and then like dropping it down into the earth was incredibly powerful. And when they erected the pole and it, and it was leaning up, 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 you know, and it's very precarious and people are pulling on strings from either side when it shifted into the hole, I was really reminded actually of having energy work done by you and you intuited a symbol for me, when you were working on my solar plexus, which was the phi symbol of the circle with the line through it, and I suddenly felt like I energetically got what that image means. Mm. Um, so other than that, there was lots of fun in the bathhouse and in the sauna and in the kitchen. And um, so it was it was definitely the way that the holiday is meant to be celebrated. That was my takeaway. 
That sounds very fun and mischievously not a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I went to a different celebration than Priscilla this year, sadly, and also kind of cool because we get to share experiences. Um, so the one that I went to was very traditionally Irish. Uh, so when they called in the directions it was actually eight directions which was interesting and each direction was represented by a deity and the main deity that the Irish are calling in is actually Anya who we'll speak about a little bit later um but in that ceremony there was a lot of um invocation in ourselves of our inner she in a way um the she spelled with a d in there s-i-d-h-e mm-hmm. are the fey in irish culture um the dina she the good people the fey folk uh so anya is the queen of the, the fey and summer is her time but back to the rites that i went to um unfortunately i missed the first part of the ceremony due to my work schedule but the tradition at this Irish ceremony is usually there's um, masculine and feminine polarity and all day long they do masculine and feminine rites again think in terms of polarity rather than bodies that's the way I like to think of it these days um Of course, our ancestors, you know, there wasn't much in terms of inclusion. But now where we are, we are becoming more awakened to um, try spirits in a way. Um, But usually the feminine polarity would dig the hole and, you know, think about the hole. Like female energy is usually receiving feminine energy to correct that is usually a receiving energy um the male energy the masculine energy would ready the pole right so again think of the symbolism there and then there's the ceremony after a day's worth of preparation of erecting the pole in the hole so fertility woo, yeah all about fertility so anyway when I got there it was um time for the fires so Beltane is a fire festival and there are these two fires that are represent representing the polarity and traditionally you charge those these fires um the way we did it this year is we did a spiral dance that wove between the fires and um, it would be running and rushing and then it would slow down and then it would speed up and then um, just weaving, weaving these, the energies together of the fires, the polarities. And then finally, after a a while of weaving, it's like the um, explosion, (laughs) of energy right that tension is exploded into this raw primal um strong 
I guess, magnetism of the polarities together. So then there's the dancing and everybody dances together and, and then festivities commence. And you can imagine the festivities of Beltane because it is a fertility festival. So Beltane was a, a great time. <laughs> it was a great time, yes. Um, and now we're moving into summer solstice. And summer solstice, to me, the way I like to think of it, Beltane is like the attraction, right? It's like the two of cups. Like you're building the magnetism and then the poles meet finally. And they're like, wow. Um, think of like the young lovers um, and the way that young lovers are, you know, like rabbits <laughs> in a way. Um where it's just this this youthful energy of coming together. And to me, summer solstice is the maturing of that energy. Um, the sun is right you know, direct in the sky. It is right above us. It is the strongest that it's going to be the entire cycle of the year. And that means both the God representing the sun or the sun representing the god, and the goddess representing the earth, who is, you know, green and lush, are in their power, right? So they come together in their full maturity. The goddess is usually represented as pregnant at this time, like fully pregnant and ready to give birth. Um, but there's this wisdom that they use. It's almost like the rulership. And I was explaining to Priscilla earlier um, as we were having a, another conversation about a possible um, tattoo ceremony that we might do. Um, for those of you that remember, Priscilla offers these amazing tattoo ceremonies, and I'm so excited to be able to partake. That's how we met. Um, so I was talking about one of the things I want for this tattoo, which is the representation of moving from that young maiden energy, the the wavering, not so sure of herself, but learning and exploring herself, to moving to that wise woman, mother archetype, the queenly archetype in a way. Um, and I see summer solstice as a representation of that. It's like the goddess and the god are sitting on their thrones and they are in their fullness and they are creating life they're creating their uh kingdom queendom um whatever word you want to say there and uh everything is lush and there's abundance and it's overflowing um and joyous and happy and everybody's celebrating um so you know that's a little bit about how i view summer solstice but Priscilla, what are some other aspects that you really think of when you think of summer solstice? Well, we were talking earlier about um, how to uh, celebrate the holiday or ways to tap into the energy. And I, well, one thing I have to mention is that uh, where we are right now, usually there has been a late frost by now. But we've just passed the last frost date um, in our area. It's May 15th. And so it's pretty exciting to see a spring 
where little tiny seedlings can come up and just keep growing. There was a frost, but it was really early on. Things had started budding. I think it was maybe in March. Um, but for the most part, this spring has been able to flower unabated. Um, so the lushness of it is pretty extreme for us where we are right now. And what I was saying um, to you before about uh, celebrating this time, for me, it always feels like gratitude. I feel like when a, a, a well person is experiencing abundance, that the natural inclination is to give. And I think that when we are tapped into just how incredibly abundant life can be, both natural and the life within us, that we um, have a sense of having more than enough. And so, you know, this is a good time, I think, to take the product of all that spring cleaning and, you know, let yourself step into a place of flow and give and empty out and produce and share um, and celebrate because any abundance that is not um, shared at this point stands the risk of beginning to rot as we go into the dark time of year. So I always think of it as um, a time of uh, expressing gratitude. I think that that is brilliant because, as you mentioned, here we are overflowing with abundance. Everything is abundantly lush right now. Um, it's definitely a climax in a way. I think you mentioned that earlier when we were discussing kind of the energy of the times of like the climax of of an orgasm you know it's just bursting right almost painfully so yeah yes and some of you who are witchy practitioners might be familiar with the story of the oak king and the holly king and on the solstices they do battle right so as priscilla mentioned you know we're at the climax and and bursting with life but after the solstice which is the longest day of the year and the shortest night the sun begins to decline and we start to move into the darker part of the year so the story with the holly king and the oak king is that the oak king rules the light half of the year and he's at his climax on summer solstice but on summer solstice they do battle and summertime summer solstice is when the holly king actually wins the battle and it begins to come into the time of his rule of the year. So there's always this rise and fall, this, this pulsing, this primordial pulse of life within all of the cycles that we experience. And the ancients really took 
they really paid attention to this pulse, this primordial pulse, right? So they had to. I mean, it was life. It was a matter of life. It was a matter of survival. And there were the times to celebrate and there were the times to release. And summer solstice is a perfect example of that where celebrations are held and also it's a time of letting go because we know that now the days are going to be getting shorter and we're going to be moving into the darker half so taking that celebration the inner fire the the strength of the sun within is a big part of summer solstice which kind of brings me to some summer solstice traditions um like the representation of the summer solstice fires at the top of the hills um some of you might be familiar with jumping the fires but a bonfire is traditional on summer solstice where people would pass through the fire. And passing through the fire could represent the moving from one time of the year to the other half of the year. And also, it's the fire is the representation of the microcosmic sun here on Earth, you know, that we can, can um, erect and bringing the power of the sun within. So jumping the fire, it's, a, it's like a charge. You know, you're charging yourself. You're charging up. You're bringing that, that fire, that warmth, that joy, the abundance of the sun within you because we need to keep it alive when we go, move into the darker times. It reminds me of uh, canning and putting food by. It's like saving the life force. Um, and carrying it over when, um, you know, uh, the green has subsided to gray, to brown, and white. And we have that sun within. All the beauty of the garden is preserved. And it's the same thing psychologically. The greater that the participation and the abundance of summer is the more we will be carried through the winter times. And if people have, you know, I mean, I think everyone has been touched by the pandemic the last couple of years. And so we've had a sort of global dark night of the soul. And now we're very, we're all underworld experts. Now we know exactly what it is to be alone to be isolated, to be bereft. And so it makes these celebrations so much more important. And yeah, it's, it is life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the sun, it's, it's the time of the sun. Um, in some cultures like Beltane, they do the erection of the pole again. Uh, I know in a lot of Scandinavian cultures, it is oak, again, that connection with the oak king. The oak is one of the trees said to be the world tree, which you mentioned earlier, 
the Tree of Life, which is also a representation of the Axis Mundi. So, as above, so below, as within, so without. But that Maypole becomes the Midsummer Pole in a lot of traditions. In Sweden today, they still celebrate summer solstice very similarly to how the ancient Proto-Indo-Europeans did. And they will erect a pole and they'll decorate it with flowers and celebrate the fertility of the oak king and queen coming together. I'm not sure in those exact terms. That's just the way that I interpreted it. Um, And they have their bonfires, of course. So there are other traditions with fire, too, though. So the the pole gets erected. They dance around it, of course. Uh, It's an all-day experience. And then at night, they have another bonfire. They do the jumping to the fire to bless each other. Um, But also fire was used to bless the crops as well. So the Celtic Welsh tradition... They had two fire, I guess, traditions where one, they would take the fire from the main fire. Again, think about the representation of the sun and the life-giving energy of abundance of the sun. And they would take it out to their fields and circle their fields to bless their fields. They would also have another tradition of creating a wheel out of straw, lighting it on fire, and then rolling it down a hill towards a body of water. And it was said that if the wheel of fire went out before it got to the water, then the crops would have a amazing season. So um, if it hit the water, it would be, all right, let's pray harder <laughs> um, for our crops. So that's a little bit with about the fire, but water is also an aspect. You know, I mentioned the creek at the bottom or the water body of water at the bottom of the hill. Um, lots of beautiful water traditions. Um, so divination is common on summer solstice. And water, as we've explained in previous episodes, has that mystery. It has the ability for you to look into the unknown. So, you know, if you think about it, when the sun is the strongest and we have that fire representation, we've talked about fires being portals before, right? And then water is also, in a way, a portal, a way to see through the portal. So you can see your future. It's traditional for women in particular to look into water on summer solstice to see their future spouse, like wells, and um, also dipping their face in water to bring beauty to be able to attract their future spouse, especially unmarried women. Um, So 
there's also this really cool tradition that I'd love to hear your thoughts on because this one really pinged for me. One of the traditions in um, more the Scandinavian, as well as uh, Galatia, um, Spanish Peninsula area, is to bathe in water, for the women to bathe in the ocean in particular, naked at midnight. And this was to honor the rebirth of the goddess Freya. So she's a goddess of summer. And we see a lot of goddesses connected to love, beauty, sexuality in summer. But the bathing in the ocean was to represent her her rebirth since she was born of the ocean. You know, similar to Venus, again, that proto-Indo-European connection there where you can see this all over where goddesses of love are connected to water and the sun. Uh, Freya wore an amber necklace that represented the sun. And one of the things in Scandinavia, the reason why they have fires is because it was, it's like the necklace of Freya. So Freya is heavily honored as well as other deities of love, fertility, and sovereignty, which is an interesting one. I just wanted to comment real quick when you were talking before about water as a portal. What came to me was the idea of babies being in, coming into the world through water, through the amniotic fluid, um, and that portal. And the divination of looking down into wells um, brought to mind the, um, and this is just uh, one tradition in one area of the UK, um, I believe it's pronounced um, Derbyshire, and it is the festival of well dressing, where they decorate the outside of the wells with these incredibly elaborate paintings using flower petals. So it's really similar to what you were saying about the pole being decorated with flowers. And again, it's just, you know, it's a celebration of beauty and abundance, I think. Um, And the, um, I think that the traditions uh, around the well dressing used to be um, a little bit more um, pagan-y feeling, you know, um, and have maybe become a little bit more traditional. So there maybe used to have been um, perambulating around the well clockwise and singing and that sort of thing. Um, But they're again, like celebrating that source of life. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly one of the traditions still done today. As Priscilla mentioned, like the decorating of the wells, well, the fire, if you think about it, is the masculine principle. It is that which fertilizes the feminine principle, the action and the receiving. So fire being sacred on this day and decorating, dancing around the fire, burning of the pole, you know, it is celebratory of the masculine. But water is also super sacred and water is very feminine in its polarity essence so it's the receiving you know fire is the action you're jumping through it right you are bringing it within you that fertilization water 
is the well of receiving and and also gifting the inner aspect of it right so you're you're looking within in a way because it's almost like a mirror to your future um both are portals one's masculine one's feminine uh, they are the elemental movement lines in a way the fire and water the elemental uh, representation of the power the full power of each polarity and yes wells are are decorated today and still circled and sacred to women and looking for their future spouse but not just that but also for fertility um in galatia when they bathe in the ocean they stay until the waves hit them nine times and that nine times is to be blessed with fertility by freya So those aren't the only divination practices, looking in the well or um, going into the ocean to be blessed for, with fertility. There's also the sending of flower wreaths down the river as offerings and prayers for fertility. Another really important element on summer solstice this time of year in particular, is earth, represented by flowers. Some of you may be familiar with the plant St. John's wort. St. John's wort is named St. John's wort because it is in its full bloom around summer solstice, which is also around St. John's Day. Think of St. John's wort um, as just a really sacred herb because it has so much healing power and it's, it's got yellow flowers bright yellow flowers and again represents the life-giving force of the sun um, when you use saint john's wort make an oil or um, even a tincture it turns red red like blood um, blood being the life force amrita that which is sacred, the rivers that flow through us, that move our, our life energy in our bodies. I think what I would add about blood is um, it has a really mysterious and ineffable spiritual quality in my view. As a tattooer, I feel like I've had the occasion to see the relationship of um, bringing an intention in and the blood that's shed while doing it. You know, there's a long tradition. We could do a whole nother hour talking about ordeal rituals and about the giving of blood for different reasons um, and how the blood can be... Um, dedicated to a specific purpose, as can suffering. And in for most people who bleed um, cyclically, who menstruate, I think there's both generally 
both blood and suffering are common at least anyway. Um, and I didn't mention before, but at the Beltane celebration that I was at, um, people who were bleeding were invited to come and put their, uh, blood into the hole, um, to bless it. There were, um, a lot of different blessings offered to the whole. So I'll say be as cryptic as, as I can. Um, so I think, and this is just my particular view. I don't have a, a, uh, you know, a, a scripture basis for this belief, but I think that energetically the blood carries our essence like a signature and I believe that it has the capacity to traverse um, the realms. And so when I'm doing tattoo ceremony with people, I encourage some folks, not all, because it, it's kind of a weird idea. It's a little weird. Um, but I encourage folks uh, who have something to offer or a message to carry across the veil to... Um, to offer that, whether it's gratitude or a request with their blood, because I do believe that it um, can speak for them in nonverbal ways. And, you know, it may be the first time that I ever experienced that was actually the first time that I encountered someone who was involved with Santeria, and they had an Ogun pot in their house. And this is a... If I'm remembering this correctly, it's uh, um, sort of a dwelling place that's made for the Arisha uh, in your home. And this was a cast iron pot with several cast iron with iron objects in it. And it had blood and it was um, said to um, not tie the God to the earthly plane, but connect the divine to the earthly plane. Um, and just staring at it, I saw that. I, I saw that connection. I felt I could feel the presence. And so, yeah, I'll just say it again that I think that blood has a mysterious, ineffable quality of being able to traverse the realms. And it does carry um, an, an, our essence with it. So, um, yeah. Um, I would say from the standpoint of abundance, um, the phenomenon of blood, of bleeding, and of providing a crucible for the seed is a really potent summer solstice image. Right. I mean, blood is... Like I said, I, I think of it as life force. It's, you know, when a, a, a woman bleeds, it is a sign of her fertility, right? It is that sacred essence that sustains life because that's in, from her womb. That's where life is, is uh Passing created. through? Yeah, passing through. There you go. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of portals. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, St. John's Wort, like I said, the connection to blood there, it also has a magical connection to protection. And again, connecting to the blood of the womb, 
you know, the womb, the protective space where life can grow before it comes into this world. So there's a lot of traditions on summer solstice where people use St. John's wort for protection, protecting their homes, protecting their bodies. Um, It's one of the sacred herbs of the time. And not only St. John's wort, but there's a couple of other sacred herbs. But one of the things is one it's collected along with other flowers by women, particularly in Romania, that put about seven to nine flowers under their pillow so that they dream of their future. Seven to nine different ones, you mean? Mm-hmm, different herbs and flowers, St. John's wort being one of them. And, you know, again, the theme here, fertility, um, life force. Well, summer solstice is also a time where people would be hand-fasted, so marriage ceremonies. Um, it's traditional, I believe, in the Scandinavian traditions for a hand-fasting ceremony to be taken place on summer solstice, and the father of the bride gifts honeymead to the groom. And honeymead is connected to the term honeymoon. It's traditional marriage drink, you know, libations. But also honey has amber nectar, amber sweet nectar. It carries the life force of the sun um, and the sweetness as well of the flowers. So it's a blessing of fertility and one of the traditions is to party all night drinking honeymead. And for the newly wed couple, party all moon drinking honeymead. The moon in June is called the honey moon. So that's a quick fun fact. The summer solstice is a time to go get wild in a way you know where if you have if Beltane was wild party summer solstice should be a real wild party it's the very last one (laughs) the last one the last day of the light side of the year yeah the hand fasting we've already talked a little bit about the maturation of the masculine and feminine polarity right so it is more like the lovers. If Beltane is the two of cups, um, summer solstice is the lovers where you're, you're not just, you know, hanging out and having a lot of sex, but now you're con you're actually committing to each other. Right. So I want to kind of get into a little more of the strong, wild masculine and the strong wild feminine that meet each other on this day but before I do do you uh, have any comments Priscilla no I'm good I want to hear about the um wild horse women <laughs> well before I get into the wild horse women I'm gonna touch on I think more the wild masculine aspect because I could say a lot about the wild feminine and I want to make sure that I don't forget (laughs) the wild masculine. Sorry, y'all. I focus so much on women and 
female spirituality, I shouldn't just say women. I will say feminine polar magic because that is very strong in my nature and my practice. Um, so I want to make sure that I don't leave out the masculine here because it's also very important this time of year. Okay, so wild masculine player number one that I'd love to introduce to you, Kernunos. Kernunos is the protector of the forest. He is that guy with the antlers that you might be familiar with who sits almost cross-legged and he's got a snake in one hand and he's got a torque in the other. So he protects the creatures of the woods. He is known as the hunter and also the hunted and protects both. So he is a representation of the cycles of life of the animals of the forest in a way. Um, he teaches us the connection and respect that we must have for the wild essence of the forest, right? Um, he teaches to only take what we need because yes, he protects the forest, but yes, he acknowledges that we sustain life off of the blood of the, those in the forest, right? So Keronos is the symbol of not only the hunter, but shows us that the hunter will in fact one day become the hunted. The living will in fact become the dying. The baby will eventually pass into the ancestors. So the cycles of forest, the wild masculine symbol of fertility as well. I mean, the antlers are not only seen to be erect from the head but also divine because they are like the antenna that bring the divine down into the forest the sacred to the wood so he's our first player I want to introduce the second one is similar to him I'm sure everybody's heard about the green man um, if you have not the green man is a face that's covered in foliage that we often see sometimes even as uh, on churches. I mean, these figures are so um, widely recognized and used, but the green man is also this mysterious creature. Um, some people liken him to Fae, so he might be a Fae some people as a god, but the Celts used to see the head of a person as holding the soul of a person. So the green man is the, we see him as the head covered in foliage in the forest. So he is the representation of the soul of the forest, where Cornunos is the active principle of the masculine, where he is hunting and, and, and protecting. The green man is like the 
um, I don't want to say passive, to be honest, but he is the soul of the forest. He is the representation of the spirit of the plants. It's almost like Cronunos is um, more associated with the animals. The and fauna and the flora. There you go. The fauna and the flora. I feel like this is a good, uh, you know, sidestep to just like tell people about real quick that your other podcast is called local oh local fauna fauna. named after our burn camp (laughs) (laughs) so if you haven't listened to that yet y'all sidestep listen okay so we've gone over a lot right now um and that's that's my tidbit on the masculine do you have anything you'd like to say i do i will try to be brief because i know we're kind of coming to the end of our hour but um i do want to share that i once dreamed that i was the horn god it was um, while i was pregnant with my son and i attribute this dream to that because my experience of it was unlike anything i had ever experienced i was fighting and very very strong I had two giant ram's horns coming out of my head, and I was killing. I was, and it was not anything that I had ever done in a dream before. Um, so I attribute the little when I woke up and I was, you know, wake woke up in shock of what I had just experienced, and I felt like it was because I had, um, you know, this boy inside me, but. I mean, you know, call it prejudice if you wish, but uh, that was the that was the energy. Mm. Totally alien, right. so strong. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I feel like Kernunos and the Green Man represent the healthy masculine, right? That doesn't use the destructive energy for violence but more for need of the tribe, right? I mean, I think it's debatable. I think that the role of violence in our evolution is probably a whole other podcast because, Mm. I mean, it just depends. I mean, I think that, you know, when I look at nature eating, there's a lot of violence. So, you know, it may just be that our um, gentle natures want to move towards peace. And I think that's a good way for us to swing the pendulum, but our animal sides may have other um, desires, you know. Um, I do want to just say something real quick about um, the green spirit. I just want to mention a couple of other names. Um, Jack of the Wood, uh, Robin Goodfellow is a traditional one. And um, I feel like there is a little piece of um, Wiccan lore that says that um, nature is the lady and the Lord is everything that lives and dies in her lap. Um, So I think that those energies kind of apply to that. And about the um, master of game, I think it's interesting to note that the Cherokee here um, also had a master of game, uh, and uh, the anglicized version of his name is Judicala. And, um, but it was the same thing. He 
was the Lord of the hunt and he had rules about where you could hunt and where you could not hunt. And those kind of distinctions I think are um, in place to keep the balance between the human and animal populations healthy so that there are safe places that are out of the reach of humans um, so that resources do not get depleted. And that is um, just from my perspective, one of the things that the Lord of the hunt or the master of game um, decides. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's quite an interesting role, the, the wild and primal masculine energy there where it's like, it can be soft, gentle, and loving when we don't think about that, you know, the protector again, the protector can be loving. It does not have to be just about the kill, but there's the balance there. Take only what's needed. So moving along, because I know that we've got to uh, get, <laughs> get to wrapping up soon. Um, I want to now introduce the wild feminine principles because this is my nerd niche right here. Um, so in the Celtic Welsh traditions, there is this emphasis on horses. And there are a couple of horse goddesses, so to speak. So goddesses that shapeshift into horses. The horse was so sacred to the Proto-Indo-European cultures because it was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of fertility. I mean, they used horses to plow land. Um, they saw the horse as this representation of the untamed wild that could be tamed a bit, but not always completely. So... Many cultures have the representation of horses carrying the sun across the sky as, you know, pulling a chariot. Um, but the goddesses that I want to bring into light here are Anya, who I've spoke about earlier. She, as I said, is the fairy queen, but she also can shapeshift into a red mare and one of the fastest in the land. Uh, Rhiannon is the Welsh version, and she shapeshifts into the white mare. Epona is the Gaelic. So these female deities are also strongly associated with love. Love, but also sovereignty. So it's an interesting combination there because one would equate love with marriage right and sovereignty with independence but the thing is is they kind of teach you how to have both and this is a common theme in a lot of the earlier I guess closer to the uh, proto-indo-european cultures of the feminine is not only beautiful and um able to be a wife and mother, but also it can have her sovereignty too. Um, so 
there's lots of stories and I had a good couple here that I wanted to share. So I might have to share some story time with Juniper bonus episodes, you know, after this. Um, But I want to kind of get into what was the quote that you reminded me of earlier with the woman scorned? Oh, hell hath no fury as Mm -hmm. that one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of these goddesses go through this trial of something horrific that happens to them that's taken from them, but they come up even stronger, right? So it's interesting because Anya, who I mentioned before, is not just the queen of the fae and goddess of love and joy and abundance, but she also is associated with the um with the sun right so she's a sun goddess and a moon goddess at the same time and also the queen of the fae so the magic right um she as i said has that horse quality to her where she can shapeshift into a horse but a lot of her stories are really interesting there's two in particularly in particular that really stand out And in both of them, let me just give a little warning first. This is this is pretty um, triggering, I guess. Both of the stories, she's raped um, by a king or an earl. So in one of them, her father is Egobal, king of the Tua de Danan, and he is waging war with the new king of Munster, who is above ground, he just came in, and he's not a good king, he's very cruel, and there's a war going on, and that king goes to their hills and sees Anya and tries to demonstrate power over her um, by taking her as his own, her virginity. And in this act, she bites off his ear. And the law in Ireland is that no king who is imperfect shall rule. So by taking off his ear, she dethrones him. He can no longer rule. So that was one story of her revenge taking back Um, another one is she's bathing at a lake and the Earl of Desmond comes upon her and again, takes her and she becomes impregnated. She gives birth to a child who some say actually is the Merlin, um, and turns the Earl of Desmond into a goose. So again, that retaliation. Um, Now, she's also credited to being the mother of many magical kings. She had a a healthy love for mortals. She loved mortals, and mortal men in particular, who met her with respect. She had many mortal men lovers, so she's credited to birthing this magical race of kings in a way. Um, 
people of Ireland that say they're half she, you know, the Dina she. They've got the good the good blood in them. Um, and like I said, she's also the mother of Merlin, so mother of magic. So that's another theme with a lot of these goddesses here. So the wild feminine, the connection to the goddess, the connection to horses. There's other stories, but I'm not going to get into them right now. But I will say that the horse was such a strong, powerful symbol. Um, Anya, the where she resided, uh, it was called, and I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right because Welsh, uh, that's all I got with Welsh, CNOC, and I believe it's pronounced Nok Anya, but maybe I'm wrong. But it's a hill in uh, Limerick, Limerick. And this hill is famous for the ceremony of kinging, in a way, of the coronation of the king, where the king actually marries the land. And we've definitely mentioned this in the past, how important it was to the ancient people that the king be married to the land, bringing it back to the concept of the wild masculine, where the, the masculine must also be connected to the life force of the land. So there's some interesting um, ceremonial aspects to this coronation ceremony where some are questionable because our sources are Roman, uh, I guess, inquisitors in a way, (laughs) Roman conquerors. So I will say that it's recorded by a Roman that in these the ceremony, the king would have intercourse with a white mare, with a horse, and then they would sacrifice the horse, and then he would bathe in the horse's blood and eat it. Um, but this actually, true or not, has a lot of representations, again, with him taking in the wild nature of of you know the the land um becoming one with it in matrimonial union is the consummation the sacrifice is of the blood and bathing in the blood is the life force right the then eating the the meat of the horse is the imbuing himself taking into his body that wildness again so summer solstice ceremonies coronation of kings is another thing um i'll mention really quickly i'm water being a big theme i forgot to mention that healing is also a big theme on summer solstice but using water to heal there is a lake near nok anya the lake that she anya is credited to going to healing at and it's visited still to this day by the people of the area for its healing qualities and this lake is also the lake where the earl of desmond came upon her so um some say that this is anya is the the lady of the lake giving birth to the merlin because that is her sacred lake so some things that might be great for you to do for summer solstice um 
Priscilla mentioned the gratitude ceremony, uh, also healing ceremonies, healing rituals, magic for healing, magic for prosperity, magic for love and divination, and also just celebrating life. So um, get your loved ones together and have a real wild freaking party and celebrate life and do the magic that you will to bring in your own fertility, to bring the power of the sun within you. Um, give thanks. There was a really memorable summer solstice celebration that I passed with friends. Um, really, it was just um, actually open to the public. I mean, it felt like with friends, but there were lots and lots of people there. And we made a stone soup. And the concept of stone soup is an old one. And uh, my kids had a children's book when they were little. And it was about soldiers walking home from war. And they were very hungry. And the villages were used to soldiers coming through and eating everything. So they had hidden all the food. And the soldiers stood in the town square. And they got a big pot with some water. And they put a rock in it. And they stood around rubbing their bellies like they just could not wait for this soup to be done until people were curious and came up and looked. And, and they said, oh, yeah, stone soup is the best, you know. And the only thing that would make it better maybe is like a carrot. And the little boy was like, I've got a carrot. And a few more minutes passed, a little bit, oh, this is going to be so good. If only we had a potato. Anyway, you can guess where it goes from there. And eventually, the everyone ate. There was plenty for everyone. And it really just started with a rock and a clever idea and an understanding of human psychology. But um, that notwithstanding, the idea was that in bringing what we have together, that we produce more than we consume. So I think that... Um, celebrating with your own version of stone soup, starting with what seems like nothing and creating something that really just brings people together in any way possible. That is the medicine that we need right now. It doesn't really even matter what you do. In fact, I think it'd be hilarious to say, I'm going to cook a rock on my stove until you people bring me some potatoes. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> yeah well thank you so much Priscilla again for the lovely lovely conversations that we have and the inspiration of magic that, that comes from our gathering together and creating this show so I want to give my gratitude yes. to Priscilla yes as a loved one. Well, Mary meet. Mary part. And, and Mary meet again. For me. You never hunger and never thirst, and may you have the best orgasm of your life for summer solstice. <laughs> <laughs>
Wow, this year? Whatever that means That's to you. That's a pretty tall order, I have to admit. <laughs> Whatever that means to you. <laughs> Leave it at that. Thanks. I'll take it. Take it away. Back. Take one. Take two. Take three. <laughs> uh.